2: On episode 68 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we pull no punches talking about West Ham's lifeless loss to Spurs and the atrocious effort shown against Wolves. We also jump into all the latest West Ham news, including David Moyes out and even Jeremy and Ngakia updates. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast, everybody. This is episode 68, uh, and my voice is far too optimistic and positive after two awful defeats. But before we get into that, let's say hi to the gentleman here. Henry, how are we doing today?
3: Um, I'm all right. I think after the football last night, everyone's sort of feeling a bit down, especially now we've got a long week until the Chelsea game.
2: You said, I'm alright, like someone was like, you just got out of a car that got rear-ended, and they're like, oh, are you okay? And you're like, I'm alright, I'm alright. Like, a little bit shaky, personally okay, but circumstances not good, which is pretty fitting. Uh, Aaron. Putting on, a,
3: putting on a brave
2: face. <laughs> I think we're all stuck in that boat right now. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing good,
4: sir? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm doing alright as well. I think I'm probably hopping out of a car that was more involved in a head-on collision than rear-ended after <laughs> uh, the previous two matches, but... <laughs> from a person, personal perspective, I'm doing well, but I mean, my West Ham world is uh, is crumbling a bit at this moment, but let's try to turn the positivity back up.
2: I guess so, yeah, if you're not if you're not laughing, you're crying, right? So I guess that's that's a way to look at it here. So um there's a lot to talk about uh, as far as uh, West Ham's concerned, we have, you know, David Moyes really proving he's not Premier League quality. West Ham losing two games in a row here to put themselves somehow still not in the relegation zone. But <laughs> every everything else is, is going against them other than that current slotting there. Uh, and as well, we have Chelsea coming up next. So a lot of bad stuff going on. Oh, and Jeremy and Gakia, news update, of course, as per usual. Um, so I think we should probably start at the Wolves match because... I mean, we haven't spoken since then. That was the first game back. And we were rather positive coming into that match. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens every offseason. There's been football, there's been a hiatus from football for, for so long. We start thinking, yeah, what if this player comes back and this player plays well and this and this and this? Boom, Sebastian Hilaire's out. Robert Snodgrass is out. Arthur Mazuaku's out. And Angela Wagbana is out. So out of those players, there's arguably two starters and two important bench players already missing. Uh, Did you feel the wind leaving the sails, Aaron, before the game even started with Hilaire being out and Ogbana being confirmed out?
1: Yeah, I think it's
4: it's absolute classic West Ham to have such a big break, have an extent, get everybody healthy, and then before we can even kick the ball again, we have four relatively key players or members of the squad who are injured again. It just kind of... uh, all the positivity that I, I think I've recently said nine in a row, joking around. But I mean, when you see that right off the bat, it's kind of like uh, it just feels like the same old West Ham. So, I mean, I was still excited, I was still positive, I felt good. But I mean, I should have known better. It's probably a good way to put it.
2: Yeah, my positivity led to a, a draw prediction. So I was, I thought I was being positively optimistic there, um, but uh, I was proven wrong as well, Henry. When you went into this match uh, and you saw the lineups announced an hour beforehand, were you concerned for West Ham and were you confused at all by the team selection or uh, by Wolves' team selection? And let me just read through the lineup real quick here. Fabianski at the back, at right back, Diop and Rice at center back, Crespo at left back, Suchek and Noble holding, uh, Mikel Antonio, Pablo Fornells, Felipe Anderson, and Jared Bowen up top. That's not how it played. That's how it lines up here. Bowen was out on the right side. Anderson was as a number 10. And... Uh, and uh, Fornals was sort of alternating around wherever Anderson wasn't. Uh, and for Wolves, the biggest uh, change was basically that uh, they did not have their uh, Adame Traore on the pitch to start the match. But were you confused by West Ham's team selection or, or do you think it was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward?
3: I think the team selection was quite straightforward, really, especially with Halle being out injured. The main issue was the system really, I don't really think it suited the players. Anderson, I think he's capable of being able to play that number 10, but he needs someone like Haller up there with him. Like, I think he's only really played that position a few times and the best time he played it was against Arsenal with Arnautovic last season and that was one of the sort of better games when he first joined. Um, But there was a few issues and stuff, stuff like that, like Nangakia coming in when people may be thinking his might not be in the game that's an issue there rather than fredericks who's come back and he's fit i thought he actually looked okay against tottenham so maybe he might have been a bit better option for wolves whether or not it's just because he had that little extra rest is different i think the main thing that uh, confused me was triore not starting for wolves but with hindsight now, I completely understand why he didn't start, because the impact that man made was ridiculous. I think before he came on, it looked like we were going to get away with a draw without really doing much, because I think we were coping against the Wolves attack relatively well. We just weren't doing anything ourselves, but Triore really changed the game with his two crosses. So yeah, that was sort of my take from it, and I think there was a lot of issues sort of in the midfield as well with Rice not being in it. I think no, it really highlighted how slow Noble's become. Um, so it's definitely better now that Rice is back to midfield and hopefully either Balbuena or Bonner comes back and takes the centre-back position back.
2: Yeah, something I, something I noticed and picked up on in, in both matches, but in the Wolves match first, let's focus on here, uh, is Noble being in a holding midfield position, and I use hand quotes uh, as I say that, Simply because he's not a holding midfielder, he's not overly strong or physical. He can he can make a great pass, he can get forward, uh, and he's also pretty unpredictable in how he plays, so oftentimes you'll see him make an interception or a, a dribble out of nowhere and it sends whoever he's covering or covering him for a little bit of a loop because you don't really know what to expect with him. But he's not a holding midfielder, and, and with a, a system that didn't really work as you had brought up there, Henry, of Fournals, Antonio, Anderson, and Bowen. Out of those players, really, Bowen was the only one who played in one position, which was just right midfielder, right winger. Um, Noble's not disciplined enough and not physically able enough to play that holding midfield spot. Ironically, Wilshere probably is a better selection for that. He's not very big either, but he has the footballing IQ and maybe the ability to, to make it work and pick out a pass. But I just don't think Noble can really be that starting force anymore, and, and I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about the Spurs game as well, uh, because effort's simply not not enough to carry him anymore, uh, despite trying to be positive here. Aaron, uh, when you look at West Ham and their effort against Wolves, what let you down the most, uh, and and if it's Felipe Anderson, uh, go into depth on, on what you think's going on with him right now.
4: I mean, Felipe Anderson is definitely was definitely one of them. It's uh, you know, I, I explain what's going on with them. I, I just think, in terms of you know, anybody who's played sports at a really high level, it's when you when things are going really well, you're definitely you're not you're not thinking about things, you're not overthinking things, you're just going out and playing. Everything comes natural to you. And I mean, I don't. I think right now he's obviously trying way too hard. I know not not trying way too hard in the sense of effort like running around the pitch, but more so trying to recreate like what he once had, it seems like. He seem, he's just overthinking everything. I mean, he was playing a position that was uncomfortable for him in the match. He wasn't necessarily, you know, putting in a in a shift, which obviously everybody noticed out there, but it's just uh it's a really, really, really tough one because he's one of the the few players on the squad who has pace, which we're, you know, sorely lacking. But I just uh, I think he's just such a liability when he's on the pitch right now. It's uh, really tough to c- consider putting him back out there.
2: Do you think, Aaron, and I want to get you, both of your guys' opinions on this, but I want to come back to you first. Do you think Anderson's maybe fallen out of love with playing in England and, and maybe is a little bit more, I don't know, is maybe had his head turned a bit to, to leaving... West Ham and England in general, that to me, when you said, you know, coming from a player's sports background, that's what I thought. He's had his head turned. He's disinterested. He doesn't want to be there anymore.
4: I, I mean, that might be the case, but I, I remember when, you know, it took a while to get the deal over the line with Lazio when they were kind of recruiting him. And I remember reading a scouting report on him and the season that he came to West Ham that he had just had, he had actually kind of already fallen off a bit with Lazio the year before he was you know ever present in their lineup he was I don't know the exact like stats he had but they were they were pretty incredible whereas uh, the year before he came to West Ham he had become mostly he didn't have that many starts he had become a bit of a substitute player like a super sub so and a lot of the, the talk about him was that he was just mattingly inconsistent so I think we're I think in a lot of ways, we're seeing a player that there's a reason why he ended up at West Ham. You know, we always, as much as we all love West Ham and hate to, uh, you know, disparage the club, there's a reason why a player as talented as him ended up here instead of playing for an Arsenal or a Manchester United. And that's because he is so inconsistent from day to day or match to match. And I think that's just kind of his his issue. I mean, I don't know if it's the longest slump he's maybe ever had or... playing in England really amplifies it compared to Italy but that's kind of my take on him.
2: Henry what what's your take on on Anderson and his efforts in that match and his uh, sub sub uh, experience against Spurs there but but mostly on, on Wolves what do you think's going on with them is it mental is it uh, ability what's up with Anderson?
3: I think Anderson it's got to be sort of his mental side's just sort of not coping with the the rigors of the Premier League at the moment. I think he, I think there must have been a sort of thought in his head that when he'd go to West Ham, he could use it as a stepping stone to a bigger club. I mean, I remember in his best period for us, there was a few links or so with him going to Real Madrid because of how well he was performing. Those links are now very, very much dead in the water, of course. But I feel as though maybe because he hasn't quite been able to carry on that explosive form he had over the November-December he sort of dropped off a bit and then he didn't get a move in the summer to somewhere bigger like he might have planned to he sort of just sort of lost his way a bit and that could be one of the reasons why we're seeing this sort of frustrated character out on the pitch who's trying to do things but isn't doing it with the right effort or sort of passion that actually probably contributes to it coming off more than just I'm going to try doing it outside of my foot pass here. And hopefully that comes off. So I think that could be a big deal because I think we would have probably bought him knowing how good he could be and that because he was younger, um, it would be likely if he did well, he would go to a bigger side. I mean, it was a couple of years before we bought him. He was linked to Man United and Chelsea, I think it was. So he's definitely a player that would have been thinking he's he could earn a big, big move to a big European club at some point in his career and he probably thought west ham would be the way to do that And if he had an impact like pyatt had had especially with his age but because he's just his forms dropped off and he hasn't been able to carry it on that's gone in the water and i think he's probably struggling with that fact
2: yeah i can't disagree with you there and, and you know the the receipts will never come out on if we know that's what his thought was but you have to think Going from Lazio, which is a pretty, you know, respectable Italian club, to West Ham, which is a historic English club, uh, and also, you know, you, you have, like you had said, the the archetype of Payet, you could step into those shoes, or even Arnautovic, he got a big money move, not necessarily a big, you know, club move, but a bit of big money move uh, out of playing really well for West Ham, and he was probably on his way after after the first season there, but <clears throat> Yeah, inconsistency has turned into consistency because he's been consistently poor this whole season, uh, and and one of the big issues has been he doesn't run with the ball anymore. I remember, uh, you know, I think it was last season he was running down Arsenal's right side and adjusting his gloves while he was going and slicing through their team, and everyone was just losing it about that. Like this West Ham player, he's so swaggy, like he's cutting through that Arsenal team. Who do Arsenal think they are? This guy's dripping and. I think West Ham won that game with uh, Declan Rice scoring his first goal uh, from Samir Nasri. So you know there, there was there was a little bit of swagger in the team there. We were hard to get through. We had the luxury players to push us forward, um, and, and it's just it's just not working for him anymore. And it's got to be down to the mental the mental I guess breakdown of of Felipe Anderson. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, I want to get your thoughts here, just to, just to sort of round out on Wolves. You can you can throw anything in here that you thought about the game, but I really want to know what was the biggest issue for West Ham? Was it systematic? Was it effort? Was it the opponent being too good? What do you chalk up West Ham's two 0 loss to Wolves to?
4: I think it was the the entire way the of the setup really. I. Read uh, David Moyes like a transcript of his interview after the match, and he talked about they were really surprised they had set up that Treore was going to be starting, and they were really surprised when he didn't. So I'm right off the bat, considering they didn't change anything when Treore came on, like they didn't make any sort of formation change, they didn't have any anyone coming off the bench to directly counteract him. You have to believe that they ended up just going with the exact same game plan throughout the game, and I just I don't understand as if, if you're setting up to try and stop one of their, their biggest threats and then he's not starting the game. You should have, you know, any manager worth their salt should have a different game plan, you know, depending on who's going to be on the pitch. And it just struck me that, you know, David Moyes seems to really maybe only have one way to, that he wants to play in a game or one way to, to set up and he doesn't really change it. And unfortunately, West Ham's not a good enough squad to... Uh, to force other teams to play to their strengths or to play to how they play so I just I just found that to be a real head scratcher that you know you can't they, they planned so much for one specific player and then weren't willing to alter their game plan when he wasn't starting so that was kind of just just a just shocker to me
2: it, it's almost managerial and strategic at that point then you'd say correct yeah. Perfect. Okay. And Henry, what do you think it was? What do you you chalk it up to? Do you agree with with what Aaron was saying there? And and what else can you add in?
3: Yeah, I agree with Aaron. I think it's pretty much got it nailed on. I just think the system we played failed. And I think what led to us losing was the fact we couldn't keep the ball out of our own half. Like every time we went forward, the ball just came straight back. We could hardly sort of put any sort of sustained pressure on Wolves and a team that is playing so well like Wolves and are comfortable counter and as a pressuring team, you're just going to get torn apart. And, I mean, as Aaron said, like we've, if we'd set up for a way to counteract Triore, and then when he did come on and we didn't change and he assisted two goals in about 10 minutes, I mean, God forbid what would happen if he had started the game. I feel as, <laughs> I feel as though he would have bagged about five assists rather than just the two.
2: Yeah, there, there was no stopping him, and I think a lot of people um, pointed to Aaron Cresswell. Like the, the 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 talk going on, Aaron Cresswell worst worst uh, left back in the Premier League. Aaron Cresswell like get out of the team, shouldn't be starting. Start start Ben Johnson there. There's no fullback in the Premier League that can handle Adama Traore. We just watch Aaron Cresswell all the time and, and tend to think that he's worse than every other player. Uh, I I think he's actually been one of West Ham's better players this season. And I know that's not saying much because the team has been pretty pitiful. Uh, But he has three goals. He scored uh, that beautiful free kick against Manchester United, that awesome goal against Chelsea. Crespo has not been all that bad. Uh, The problem is if you look at West Ham and their fullbacks – when they get up the pitch, there's no movement from the front line because they're so concerned about turning the ball over that they have to be on their horses and get ready to come back. Antonio was never going up the middle. Felipe Anderson takes the ball and always takes one or two steps back towards his own side. He's never thinking forward. Uh, the middle of the pitch was almost empty as well because there was no presence between either Fornells or Felipe Anderson. And on the far side, Jared Bowen's the only one trying to make runs, and you can only make you know attempt to make so many runs in a row. So. I'm down to what you guys were saying. Systematically, managerially, the other thing I would say is player effort. It just looked like the players did not think they were going to win and had no desire to try and push forward. So I think it was uh, you know, an a scoreline that actually made us look pretty good because there's no there's no way West Ham were coming out of that game based on how they tried to play it uh, with any sort of result. Uh, guys, we're going to take a quick, uh, quick break here, and when we come back we're going to talk about West Ham's loss to Spurs. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the
3: ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best West Ham videos and podcasts. Download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google
2: Play. So West Ham move on from their loss to Wolves and come back with a loss to Spurs, uh, a similar scoreline 2-0, actually the same scoreline if we're talking, you know, facts here, but a very different feeling game. Uh, there was a lot more I was almost nervously excited for this one, uh, and I was less nervous heading into Wolves simply because I I, chalked, I I got myself worked up to thinking West Ham could actually get a result in this game. Uh, they did not get a result in this game, and actually Spurs played a pretty strong side. Harry Kane and De- Dele Alli were, were back in the, in the team there. Kane did play against United, but he didn't look all that good. He did end up having uh, a goal in this one. Did he have one goal or two? I think he had just the one, right? Let's yeah, it was see. just the one, just the one goal. Who had the oh, the opening goal was the the Suchek own goal, of course. Um, so I don't know. Did did you guys? I'll start with you, Henry. Here, did you get worked up about maybe the London derby kind of spiking something? The effort wasn't good enough on Saturday. Maybe on Tuesday, the guys are ready to go. They felt that kick in the butt. Moyes too knows what he did wrong against Wolves. Maybe there'll be a change of of uh, of game planning going on here. Did you let that positivity creep into your head? Um.
3: No. (laughs) After how they performed against Wolves, I had very little confidence. But the one thing that did keep happening is it would pop in my head going, well, when we beat Spurs 3-0 when Ravel Morrison scored, we'd lost the previous four games. When we beat Chelsea earlier in the season, we'd lost the last, how many previous games with Roberto in goal. We are very capable of being a team that randomly pops up and gets a win. And then... I would suppress that because I wouldn't want myself to get too disappointed once the game actually happens. And then the game happened and then I started to get excited, especially after the first minute when we actually were in the penalty box and Martin Noble just couldn't get a shot away after Antonio controlled it down for him. So I thought, oh, maybe they will be up for it and it will be a competitive derby and we will see our players run and try and maybe do something positive but that quickly started to subside to frustration at the lack of any sort of forward movement and the amount how far deep we were sat
4: um i don't know what did you guys think Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of nervous energy going throughout the day. Just you know, I usually feel the same way in a West Ham uh, on a West Ham match day. But I mean, playing Spurs, it's a big game, especially at how dire the boys had looked on Saturday. I uh, had that excitement, and then when I saw the lineup, I was a little a little frustrated. I was like, hoping to play something a little more aggressive when I realized it was a four-five-one, or eventually, I guess it even became a 5-4-1, But. Um, <laughs> I was, I was feeling a little negative then, but I have to admit, once the game got going and, you know, there was we had the ball in their end, we had a few chances, Jared Bowen looked like he kept, was cutting in and he looked aggressive, he was switching the field. I, I started to get some some good feelings the first 20-30 yeah, minutes, but that uh, things kind of started to fall apart and we started to sink into our shell at that point and kind of crash back to reality
2: what was so disappointing I think about that too because I felt the same way the first few minutes we were you know trading blows a little bit there uh, four had that really good chance over the top that he just didn't square across the front of the net uh, you know it was it was almost like okay this is you know West Ham stay compact it's that classic West Ham versus Spurs match they stay compact they keep spurs to the outside. They capitalized on the chance there, put the pressure on Spurs and then, you know, either come out with, with a one or three points in the end there. And I was getting myself worked up to that too. Um, But it, it did not start out that way because when I looked at the team sheet, Fabianski, Cresswell, Diop, Balbuena, Fredericks, Suchek, Rice, Noble, Fornells, Antonio Bowen set up. And I think the, the, the broadcaster had it as a four, three, three. I was thinking like, what are we doing here? And, and, My mind immediately went to, oh, no, Balbuena's in. Oh, no, Wagbana's only on the bench. Oh, no, Fredericks is starting, and there's no Ngakia on the bench. Uh, Where else can we go? Oh, no, Noble's in the starting lineup. Oh, no, Antonio's starting after three days after he's played 90 minutes. Oh, no, Fornell's is not a winger. Like, there was just so many things going on in my head being like, oh, come on. Like, this is so – if you could pick the most, like – I've never watched a West Ham game in my life. Let me pick – a random assortment of 11 players to start this game. That's kind of what it looked like. And I was just so downtrodden. I, I was actually... Uh, I was out when this first... Ha- when the lineup first came out. And I looked it over and I was thinking, like, wh- what did I miss? Like, is there been massive injury news? But, I mean... Having Rice in the midfield was good, I, I believe. I was nervous about Buena, but Henry, you get vindicated because he was uh, one of the best players in the game for West Ham. He looked rock solid the entire time. I just... I wanted something inspired and something different. And the only thing I keep coming back to is us as supporters and fans not having the opportunity to look at uh, behind closed doors videos and recaps and everything because David Moyes wanted to keep his formations and tactics hidden. His hidden formation and tactic was playing Pablo Fornells as a left back and Aaron Cresswell as a center as a center back. Not only is Fornells not a left winger, he's not a left back. It was just, it was honestly, if the players didn't show up and Rice wasn't there in the middle of the pitch, sort of riding the ship, it would be completely, completely blown out blown out of proportion here. As well, Bowen had a few tackles that were great. I just, it was so unimaginative. Henry, how did you feel when you saw, actually, we already, I already came to you about that one, but how, how were you when you saw Antonio starting two, two games in a row and, and, you know, 72 hours after he had just played a full 90 minutes?
3: I mean, that's always a worrying thought with his, his with his history of injury problems. But when I saw the lineup, I don't think I was too um, like put off about it because in my head I thought, oh, okay, so we've got a back four, Cresswell, Balbuena, Diop, um, Fredericks. That's the same back four as we had all of last season when we were quite good. Fabianski in goal. I thought he had a good game. Um, I was like, that's relatively as solid as we could be bar maybe Ogbonna for Balbuena, but if Balbuena plays how he did, then not too much of a difference. So then my thought was, okay, well then if we have a midfield three of Noble, Sucek, Rice, then that's good. And then a front three or like a one, two or four hours behind behind um Bowen and Antonio and they're close together. I was like, maybe that's something that will work, a four, three, one, two and they're the. Front three are sort of all interchanging, um, and then once I sort of realised, oh no, we are playing something mad that David Moyes has thought up during lockdown, and he's clearly had cabin fever. Um, and the four-nails positioning as a left wing back was frustrating to watch. I mean, he's one of our most creative players, and he's the f- deepest player. Whereas when we're off the ball and we're trying to press Mark Noble somehow the furthest up the pitch and Antonio's not running, but Noble's not running himself. There's so many weird things going on and so many issues with how they're playing that I feel a lot of fans and everything can see and they can see that's not right. That's either not what you're being told or you're being told to do something illogical. And that's sort of what was my thought process during the game. It was a very, very frustrating game to watch. We did have a couple of good chances. I mean, Antonio, I thought, was quite unlucky not to score um, off the free kick, which Laurie saved well. And then obviously Bowen hit the post. But, I mean, it's the same as Wolves. We can't sustain pressure at the moment. We can't pass around the opposition's box for a couple minutes and pick when we're going to play. I mean, the best moment we've had since Moyes has come back is the, I think, the Bowen goal against Southampton. Yep. When Fornells threaded it through, like that's Fornells at his best and Bowen as at his best, and that's Bowen cutting in from the right, making a good running behind, and Fornells being in a sort of a number ten role, a attacking midfielder role, centrally where he can make that um, direct pass. But if he's out on the wing and let. Basically, left back against Tottenham. It's never going to happen. Uh, it's so frustrating. I, I, I'll pass off to Aaron here before I turn red.
2: Yeah, Aaron, what are your what are your thoughts on that? There.
4: Oh, so many head scratchers. I agree with Henry fully. That it just made no sense to me having Fornells sitting back that deep. It was basically it just kind of summed up the way David Moyes is perceived by a lot of people as a manager and what he puts into, into play is, like, he was just inviting pressure down that side of the field, right? Like, Aurier had all the time in the world to keep rampaging forward because he knew there was going to be, like, zero threat of the ball going up up uh, that side of the pitch, right? So it just... I've, I've never been a big fan of continuing to invite pressure because I just think eventually that it's going to backfire on you no matter how compact you are there could be. I mean, it obviously didn't happen out of a play on that end, but, you know, the, the goal they scored was a, a fluky own goal and like that those are the types of things that can happen when you continue to invite pressure on you so that that one made no sense to me i the noble positioning made no sense you know he's usually collecting the ball from from the center backs or you know back in our own end and moving the ball off the pitch instead you're asking him to basically be the outlet for us going forward um you know it just so many other things in, in that regard didn't didn't really make sense i i just felt that you know after the first few minutes, we were just inviting pressure onto us. And, you know, Fornells was stepping further and further back. And we just kind of kind of fell apart in that regard. And then, you know, we somehow managed to survive the last 10 minutes of, of that first half. You know, we had a, the goal call back from VAR. Ooh. We had Mora um, was in front of it in the net. And somehow, I think it was Mora, somehow blasted yeah. wide. And, and I thought, you know, I my wife had actually just come out of her office and I was like, they're going to score in the last couple of minutes here. They always, this is always what happens. And somehow we got lucky and got out of it. And instead of going into the locker room and recognizing that you escaped there and to make some changes, he just sent the exact same lineup back out to do the exact same thing. And I was pretty, pretty frustrated at that point, to say the least.
2: Yeah. And and just jumping on what you were saying there as well, uh, specifically about inviting pressure in Serge Aurier, there was no, so Instead of gambling and saying, okay, with their right back getting so far up the pitch, let's keep Fornals higher and let's try and spring out down the left side because West Ham were having a little bit of joy down that side earlier in the match. Uh, Specifically, I think, Aaron, you brought up uh, Bowen switching the ball over that side, which was an incredible ping that he sent all the way across the pitch. Uh, It was – the opportunity was there for them to say, okay, let's let our left back mark their right back. We have three – Holding midfielders, technically, even though, like we said, Noble was everywhere. Uh, we have we have two holding midfielders, I guess, then that can you know come in centrally and help out with that coverage. We can try and spring a counter attack up that wing and gamble. Instead of gambling, they had Pablo Fornells, who is not a left back. He's not a he's not really even a left sided player, but Moyes has just put him there. Uh, we had him playing left back, and he will never cheat you for effort. He's always running hard. He ran hard until they took him off. But he's never going to do anything for you when he's playing left back. Get him centrally. Get someone else out. I'd I would rather for the rest of the season see Pablo Fornells played centrally over Mikel Antonio, including at striker, because I think I think Antonio is not versatile enough to play off the wing. If he's playing with another striker, I guess maybe because we saw some success with that, but. It, there's just there's just nothing exciting going on with how this team's setting up, and as well, like if if we can't trust Mark Noble to stick to a, a midfield position, and and you know bring some sort of conscience to the midfield because we got overrun by Wolves in the midfield, so clearly that was the emphasis on the few days they had in between games. Then why is someone like Connor Coventry, who plays defensive midfield, not on the bench? I understand he's young. I understand he uh, he got back from his loan from Lincoln, where he had a, I think he had a pretty solid season. If he's, if he's there, why not have him? Why not cancel the loan of Josh Cullen because we need defensive midfielders? Why not make these, quote-unquote, difficult decisions, but they're not because you're just investing in your youth? Why not adjust the team? Why not bring on – if Lee Anderson doesn't want to play and like he showed against Wolves, get him out of there. Why not have Nathan Holland on the bench, a player who's coming back from injury himself but wants to be a first-team player? Hell, he liked an article that I wrote that said Nathan Holland should be a West Ham starting player next season because he probably should. Why not get these players in that want to do something positive, that want to grow with the club, that are not using it like Henry said as a stepping stool, that are not you know going to roll over like Fornals kind of did and play left back? Why not get in players that have some sort of fight in them, and just gamble on youth? We, we've we've you know we've had that payoff with Ngakia, with Rice. Sure, we screwed it up with with Ngakia, and we screwed it up with Reese Oxford, who'd probably be still doing well, and we also screwed it up with. Uh, who's the other Reese? Reese, uh, J- uh, he's the center back for a hole now.
4: Reese Burke.
2: Reese Burke. Yeah, another. He he looked great for West Ham when he played. I think he scored an FA Cup match for them, a header in extra time. Uh, like, why not take these gambles? Instead, we're paying through the nose for players who don't want to be here, and we're also allowing a fossil like David Moyes. To set up this team in a way that has no versatility, no flexibility. It's completely static. It's not going to change how the game is going on because he can't cope with that. Everything about this was a complete shambles, and it, it just—I'll get off my soapbox here—but it completely, completely let me down. <sighs> Take a deep breath there. Now let's talk about the goals that were scored against us because we didn't even talk about either of those. Uh, the Sutcher goal—I will agree with David Moyes if we have var that should have been called back it clearly hit the guy's arm uh, i think it was sissoko's arm no sanchez's arm rather uh and then went off su checking in the net i mean if it doesn't get called it doesn't get called you can't do anything about it that's not su checks fault that's not fabianski's fault it's just a bad a bad little i don't know like a flip of the coin really uh what do you guys make of that goal and what do you guys make of harry kane's uh 40 yard breakaway goal as well uh, i'll come to you first henry
3: I think one of the issues with the Sue goal is how many times we've been sort of found out by VAR with the ball bouncing off of, and whether it's Antonio's arm against Southampton, Declan Rice's against Sheffield United. Like, I think it's especially sore topic for us because we've been found out about it so many times, and when it should be called or called um, a no goal in our favour. It doesn't. I mean, we had the benefit of it in the first half, but it's not, uh, oh, well, we ruled that one out, so we'll allow this one. It's no, neither of them are goals. It's an awful, awful rule that if it touches the hand in any way, it's not a goal. And in the theory of football, that should be a goal. But with the rules, it's not a goal. And so the first goal it's just... uh, I agree it's one of those, but it shouldn't be one of those because it's not a goal and it shouldn't be counted. Um, The other goal was just a very classic West Ham thing of looking actually, I mean, as I've talked about, we can't sustain pressure in the other team's half. And then when the moment we sort of look like we are, Antonio gets um, the ball taken off him far too easily and two passes and Harry Kane is through and the guy hasn't played for six months bar the United game but is somehow quick enough to outrun all of our defenders and he finishes it just how Harry Kane does finish his chances like there's not a lot you could do for the second one other than Antonio not losing the ball but going back to the first thing I know it happened from a corner I'm going to get onto my little soapbox now for a second (laughs) because you've reminded me of something that we do and I do not understand it With the players we've got like Anderson and Fornals and Antonio these attacking players and especially Anderson and Antonio and Bowen I'm sort of thinking about here where they are quick players in corners we have everyone in the box bar one who might just be outside the box which means they can flood our box with players cause issues to happen like the Suchek goal and then even if we do get a header out the ball comes straight back. It's got to be a time where we decide, right, we're going to take the risk and have a couple less men in the box for a corner. Because I mean, let's face it. I don't know how much Jarrod Bowen can do defending a corner because he's not the tallest. He's far more useful. If you stuck up on the halfway line, Jarrod Bowen on the right flank, Anson on the left flank, Antonio in the center. So when the ball does go up, there's people to get it and relieve the pressure but like, I feel I've been watching West Ham for years and we did it under Bilic we did it under Moyes round one we did it under Pellegrini and we'd return to doing it with Moyes again and I don't understand the logic of it because I remember when Leicester won the title when they were defending a corner Mares and Vardy were up on the halfway line like and Leicester had just come off a season where they were almost relegated and they had to defend for their lives but they decide, no, we're going to go attacking, we're going to leave these players up because one in 42 corners actually result in a goal. So it's worth chucking them up because the risk isn't actually that high. What's more dangerous is the second ball coming in after you've cleared it for the first time. So that needs, that's something that I do think needs to change. And I think if you made a simple change like that, especially as we are conceding so many corners at the moment, you might actually start to see better play from players like anderson where you say you know what anderson don't worry about defensive duties because you're not really contributing to it anyway just stand on the halfway line we will pump a ball up at some point and you just got to run and then i mean if you you think back to his southampton goal where he competed our comeback last season and he ran from sort of the halfway line onto antonio's long ball he could sort of start to get opportunities like that again so there needs to be a huge, huge change to the team and how they set up with their mindset, especially from corners, because it's just inviting more trouble. And like, if you pack the box out too much, you're adding more people for the ball to hit and cannon off and go in from, like we saw with the Suchek thing. Um, but yeah, with Tottenham, like Noble was poor and Suchek was poor, but... Yeah, my my rant's over. I've sort of lost where I am, am now. <laughs> well no,
2: I completely agree with what you're saying and also we do zone coverage and that we never change on that. Doesn't matter the opponent, we do zonal coverage and also you you change the odds when you put players up high outside of the box because you can't the other team cannot allow you to have those players unmarked. So immediately you're going to have probably both of their fullbacks and if you have a third or fourth person at the edge of the box or outside, you're going to maybe have a midfielder or someone else a, a small war- winger that's going to be pulled out and have to cover like you probably if it's against Spurs it's probably going to be like a Lucas Mora someone who's who's pulled out and has to cover back for you uh in case you do spring the ball out and and you can change that 147 to even less just by giving the opposition something to think about as of right now if you get a corner against West Ham all you have to think about is putting the ball in the air and trying to get on the end of it that's all you have to think about so like I think you brought up—that's that's an awesome point you brought up there. There's just tactically not enough going on to make West Ham different. And you know, as I'm recording this with you guys here, Liverpool are up four nothing. So West Ham are a team that needs to find gems like Declan Rice, like Ngakia, you these young players coming through the team. Liverpool are currently playing more youngsters. They just put on—I uh, forget his name—they uh, just put on a, a youngster to play in this game. Sure, they're winning pretty lopsided, and they can take that chance. But Liverpool are investing in their youth, investing time in their youth to try and get them better. And we, we, we just simply don't do that because I think we're run top to bottom, a complete, a complete guesswork. And as well, tactically, what I was trying to get to here was they just did the drinks break, and there are about as many coaches on the sidelines talking to individual players as there are players for Liverpool. They have so many individual coaches that try and make this team as better incrementally as possible, and it's worked, that... It's just it, how how we can have three people on the bench and none of them even speak up to Moyes and suggest that he's he's tactically wrong is crazy to me. Anyways, Aaron, I, I want to get your thoughts on the goals against. Uh, I was literally pounding my head on the table, quite literally my coffee table, because Antonio has no sense of play around him. So, uh, what do you think about the Harry Kane one? What do you think about the Suchek one? Is that just a fluke? And, and you know, can can West Ham at least build on their goals against being? either individual errors or VAR errors?
4: The Suchek uh, own goal was was really frustrating because in the actual lead-up to that corner, I'm, I don't remember exactly how it all played out, but I remember thinking that Balbuena didn't have to head the ball out for a corner. He could have... You know, we could have played it a little bit differently, and then suddenly we're not even worrying about defending a corner. Um, To go on my own Soapbox now, actually, I should say one of my best mates, Soapbox, he's the son of a coach, a huge West Ham supporter, and uh, he goes on and on and on about, you know, fundamental is having a man on the post. And, I, you know, I've seen time and time again the number of goals West Ham have given up on corners that if there had been someone just standing on the post, they would have just blocked it or kicked it away or cleared it. So, I know he uh, he was pretty adamant about that yesterday when that goal um, went in. But I uh, I totally agree with what Henry has to say as well. If you look at in early in that second half, Aaron Cresswell took a corner for us for West Ham and uh, took it short as he usually does. And within 10 seconds, the. Spurs almost had the goal had a goal. And it's we never ever ever see that happen when West Ham's defending a corner. We never see us spring up the pitch and create opportunities or suddenly go down the field that quickly. So why does it continually happen to West Ham? And why aren't they capable of doing the same to other other teams? And I think I'd have to agree with what what Henry's saying there. So much emphasis is put on defending the corner that it kind of sometimes creates more goals than it prevents, if that makes any sense. Um and for the Harry Kane goal it's kind of almost the same thing like how, how often do we ever turn over the ball like that and then sudden, or however does does West Ham ever make a defensive interception and then suddenly 10 seconds from that the the ball's in the back of the other team's net like Antonio probably should have had better awareness but i mean i don't, I don't really think he should have been on the pitch at that point like he was
1: Very <laughs> absolutely
4: fair absolutely exhausted like you know we had made two subs we had two strikers on the bench who haven't played any minutes since we have returned like bring bring some fresh legs on i uh i don't i don't really know what else to say beyond that i mean there was a, it was a shambles but it also i mean it shouldn't be from an interception to the back of our net in 10 seconds like that there should be uh should find a way to defend those
2: absolutely and i think we can we can uh, we can wrap up the pre or the the review of the Spurs match here. Take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about uh, some Hammers polls questions and some latest news regarding West Ham. The final segment of the Green Street Hammers podcast is here. I uh, will be answering some uh, Hammers polls questions to round out. Maybe a little more rapid fire because there is some some news and whatnot, and our own talking points to get to as well. Um, we should mention that uh, as it stands after today's games, we're recording this on the 24th of June. We're equal on points with Villa and Bournemouth at 27, uh, and it's just gold differential that keeps us out of the bottom three. Norwich and Bournemouth did both lose, and and Villa did get their draw. I think it was a, a late-game goal for them by uh, El Ghazi, or no, El Mohamedy, that's it. Uh, El Mohamedy off the bench and, and, and drew that game for them. So, honestly, a pretty good day for results for West Ham. It's a shame that we have to currently be dealing with this mess, but uh, alas, we are in it, so we have to deal with it. Um, Now, I want to get your guys' thoughts and opinions on what popped up for West Ham with the team selection. We briefly talked about it, but uh, Aaron, when you saw Ryan Frederick starting and Ben Johnson on the bench with no Jeremy Ngakia in sight, was that confirmation for you that uh, West Ham have bottled their best defensive player uh, coming out of the academy in quite some time?
4: I think it's safe to say everything we've heard Ngakia is gone. I think it was their final kind of swing at the, or Hail Mary by playing him against Wolves to try to convince him that he is going to get an opportunity to uh, to stay and play and, you know, they would pay him the money he wanted, but I, I definitely I I know over on the West Ham Way podcast uh, XWHU ex-WHU employee tweeted something that he was going to have some information on Ngakia, so I assume he probably has a pretty good idea of where he's headed and so I, I think Engaki has probably been tapped up and uh, is going somewhere that he, he wants to go to at this point.
2: Yeah, and there's there was rumors of him going to Germany, but also Crystal Palace, I think Watford, and even Arsenal are in. And I think Arsenal are ready to cut ties with Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, who's had pretty bad injury record. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on that, Henry, as well? Do you think Ngakia is,
3: is gone? Yeah, I think it's pretty inevitable that he'll be leaving the club. Um, I've... In terms of where he goes, I think Germany would probably be his best option. Like you've seen a few English youngsters go there and really make a name for themselves. Like Adam Erluckman, Josh Willock did well, Jane Sancho is obviously doing incredibly well. And like obviously he could be Reese Oxford and not do as well. But I think he's definitely got time on his side to do very well if he was to go to Germany. If I was him, that's the move I'd make if I was being forced to leave West Ham, but obviously I think we'd be cut from a different cloth because I would never leave West Ham, especially in the current situation. But I think Germany would be his best bet to sort of have a good step for his career. I think if he goes to, as you said, Tottenham or Arsenal or Liverpool, he'll get lost in the amount of players and youth academies and stuff at those clubs. Crystal Palace could be an interesting one for him, but... London rival I'd rather him go to Germany I think that'd be sort of the best bet for him
2: how about he goes to Germany goes to like RB Leipzig has a timeshare they may play some some right wing some right wing back some right back uh, West Ham get taken over by Red Bull they buy their own player back and then he plays for us when he's 21 years old that sound about right for you guys
3: yeah I'd be very interested to see how West Ham fans react to that I mean they're still angry at Jermaine Defoe leaving and Paul Lintz leaving. So, I mean, you're giving Jeremy Ngakia two years for people to f- forgive and forget.
2: So, Oh, I think all he has to do to get <laughs> forgiven and, for- and forgotten is basically go, I didn't want to play on a team run by those clowns with David Moyes managing it. And everyone will be like, hey, Ngakia, yeah, son, get back I, in I here. Think,
3: I think you might be right there, but <laughs> I mean... I mean Jermaine Defoe's come out and said like he like he's like, apologized almost for how he left the club and he's still people saying no you're Judas, please don't mention us ever again.
2: That's yeah, yeah. There's been so much movement between West Ham and Tottenham anyways that it's almost lost its sting a little bit. Now if he went to Millwall or something like that, and can 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 take off on that one. <sighs> but yeah, I think he, he's all but gone now. I don't see unless he even said it's not about money anymore, but how Maybe, maybe this is on, uh, we discussed trying to say his name. Maybe this is on uh, Dimitri Helgico. Uh, the, the, I know I said that wrong. I apologize. I'll just commit to it. Uh, the under-23s coach, maybe it's on to him saying that Ben Johnson's better, and, and all reports were that Johnson's the better player uh, and that you know, West Ham can, can save some money, which we all know they're keen on doing with, with sticking with him. But Fredericks, I, I think he's a fine right back. And I think we put everything under the microscope with our, with our team because it's our team. But if Fredericks was on Crystal Palace playing right back, I don't even know who Crystal Palace's right back is right now. If he was playing for them, he wouldn't he wouldn't even, he would just be a fine player, right? Like he'd be like a Seamus Coleman for Arsenal, or for Everton rather, where, you know, he, he's been there for so long, he just sort of blends in with it. You think, okay, yeah, I know where Seamus Coleman is obviously at, like, you know what I mean? He's just one of those players that could be a fine Premier League player. I think he is going to be a fine Premier League player. It's just the injuries that cause for concern with him. But if it's not Ngakia, we need to certainly talk about David Moyes. There's been a ton of questions coming about him uh, basically being sacked. Uh, This comes about a week after the Clareton Hugh had written that staying up or going down, David Moyes will be West Ham's manager. That being said, Moyes has made five substitutions across two games when 10 were permitted. Uh, He has not made the first substitution in either game. He has allowed his opponents to do so, and he also waits until at least the 70th minute to make any subs. And it's not proactive moves, it's reactive moves, and it's trying to basically mitigate damage at that point. Um, before I get to your poll, Henry, do you think there's any way West Ham survive with Moyes at the helm right now? Or do you think they need to, to snap off a, a quick decision here and, and get rid of Moyes?
3: I think there is a way we survive with Moyes, and that's former fellow and Norwich being worse than us. It's fair. Um, they've all got really tough run ins. Um, and we've got some winnable games. Whether, I mean, you'd think they'd be winnable, but how we've been playing, everything looks difficult. So that that's the way we stay up with Moyes, I think, is being the fourth worst team in the league rather than the, <laughs> the, the third, second, or first worst team in the league. And I think that's really the only way we stay up with Moyes. By the grace the, of others. The one thing that worries me is the fact that they've almost said he's got the job no matter what and I mean what sort of ambition does that show where you've got a man who's won two games in 12 games I mean he now has a worse record than Avram Grant had he had to win against Tottenham Newcastle and Burnley to equal Avram Grant's reign at West Ham and now he's he's worse than who we thought no one could be worse than but David Moyes is yeah, and then so where's the ambition of saying that's good enough for us? We will keep that, even if he gets us relegated, he's still going to stay. But I can't imagine any other club in the league doing that. Like Arsenal, they got rid of Emery, who they paid, who they took a good chance on, but they got rid of him and they've gone with someone new, Arteta. Um, who else? I mean, Newcastle. They, when Benitez went, they gave Steve Bruce another chance and they backed him, and he's actually done well like, these, their teams, and they're employing people, they might not be, like, the most exciting people, but they're backing them. I mean, and that Newcastle backing someone's crazy, because Mike Ashley's almost as bad as us, but he then gave him 40 million quid to buy Yolinton, and it's worked off, because they've done it the right way, whereas, and he's sort of wanted to do well with Steve Bruce, whereas at West Ham, it's like, it's just struggling, and accepting that that is what we're going to do, rather than actually, no, we're going to make a change and we're really going like, to support them in a new, different way. Or, like, support them through putting pressure on them to do well rather than support them by supporting them doing badly, if that makes sense. Like, there's a difference there. Yeah, and it's Supportive pressure that we need to have. like, like Ambition, almost. like Yeah. Emery wasn't awful at Arsenal. Like, he was okay, but he went. Because it wasn't good enough. Like, they weren't going to get relegated. They weren't going to finish out of the top half with Emery, with Arsenal. But it wasn't good enough. So they got rid of him. So I can't understand why, when I think someone posted the video, because it's 10 years since everyone started talking about um, Sullivan and Gold's 10-year plan. And they posted a video saying wh- what their aims were. And I was just like, how is this good enough for what you were saying then? How, like in what, what possible way? How do you look in the mirror at yourself with that? You're having? Like it's infuriating to think that is what we've got to accept until we somehow have new ownership. And the one issue with protesting is unfortunately no one protesting is able to buy the club. Like that's the one issue. Like if one of those if one of the protesters secretly had 12 billion pounds in their pocket and they were happy to give 800 million quid to David Sullivan and run the club up like that it would have happened but unfortunately no one with the money to do it is around at the moment I know every time we lose a game uh, one of the media outlets in England start saying there's another interested party in taking over the club from here or where from Timbuktu to New Zealand to Saudi Arabia but it's not going to happen for until there's a change. And I mean, we've been having issues with the board since like before we were relegated under Avram Grant. I remember there's the video of the car park where fans are having a go at David Gold and he's standing up to them outside Wigan. Like it's been going on for six, seven years and they're not, they're not going to leave. No, that's, the issue. They don't want to leave. They don't want to sell the club because no one's gonna give them the money that would make them walk away from it. And so I don't it's really, really difficult and really, really sad what's happening to it. I mean, Jason Cundy on um Talksport, he just said that like West Ham has become cheap and tacky and it's only the fault of the board. Yep. Over their ownership. And I mean, it's mad to see how everyone can see it, but and they just, they just sort of, they don't admit to it. They just, yeah, like, just hide from it in a way, rather than like come out and say, you know, what? we have made bad decisions, we have made errors, we put the faith in this and it didn't work out. Um, we want to change it. How do you want to help us change it? Like, if you think there's a lot of boards that are a little, bit more open with the club, like, or they work with the fans, like Huddersfield, or yes, got relegated, but the owners reward fans like they help them out with season tickets and travel or they get everyone a shirt on the odd game because they just lost eight nil or something so they give everyone a scarf or a beer or like and there's all sorts of stuff that happen like this i mean leicester such a family club like it's so awful what happened to their owner um but it's such a family orientated club and the owners put into the city so much and there's a real u- unity behind it and that's what West Ham fans want and that's what I think we deserve like yes I think Red Bull would do well for West Ham in a sporting sense and I think we would see our fortunes change and we would start to go up the league because we'd be involved in their whole infrastructure of youth and the wealth that they could bring to the club and that's the that's a option for a different type of West Ham fan that wants to footballing success but then there's the other West Ham fans that are like I think a bit more like hardcore like we don't really care for a wedding as long as we're playing the way we want to play and everyone's passion and we're all singing and having a good time but and so there's so many ways we could be happier but we've somehow found this perfect hole in which it's just misery (laughs) Uh, it's it's (laughs) the the worst of both both worlds yeah it's the worst of both worlds it's the guys from there who don't want to help there rather than, oh, the guy's not the guys from Saudi Arabia who owns us, so he's not really too interested in what happens with the, the community around the club, but the club are spending this on that player and that player. We've got Pep Guardiola Mark II in charge, and we're winning FA Cups and league titles, or the guy from the area that's building the community and everyone's sort of happy, no, we're not doing too well. And the football, but we're playing how we want to play and we're sticking to our traditions. Whereas now, yeah, as you said, we're we're just in the worst of both worlds. And I can't see it changing. I mean, if we get relegated, I don't know what that does to the value of the club. I imagine it lessens it. And then I don't know, would they want to sell when they've gone down or stay up but then there's more value to sell so it's a really tricky position I'd love to hear what Aaron has to say about it
2: yeah Aaron what are your thoughts on Moyes if he's the man to to stick with and if he's actually going to be around to the end of the season and uh and just generally working off what Henry said about just the state of the club right now
4: I know I talked last week or maybe the week before about, you know, being a supporter of David Moyes and wanting him to have a a chance to really build, you know, I think I maybe was riding a bit of a high of some of the games going into the break because obviously he has looked rather inept and lost the last two games for so many, so many different reasons. I could talk for 10 minutes just on that, but um, I, I still think he has the capability to keep, or not he has the capability, but the team has the capability to stay up based on, you know, the teams at the bottom of the table right now. I mean, none of them look particularly good. And I do genuinely hope once and if Sebastian Haller gets fit and then we have that, you know, front three kind of dynamo of uh, Haller, Bowen, and Antonio that we could, once we're playing some of the teams a little further down the table, might be able to, to kind of go on a bit of a run or find some goals and start playing a little bit. Better football. So I, I think there's a chance to get some results there, but I mean, he's going to have to start making a lot better decisions and being a better man manager of his entire squad, not just the, you know, 13 players he chooses to play on uh, on a particular game. And in terms of the state of the club, I, I think what it comes down to is uh, like a lack of ambition and, and a lack of respect for the, for the owners to supporters, I think for, for them, they can go on and on about how much they want to go next level and, and, you know, they declare that. But ultimately, the most important thing for for them at this point is just finishing 17th or better every single season. And you can you can claim whatever you want. You can go out and, you know, spend money on a Pellegrini. But ultimately, they just, they tend to want to stay in the Premier League and that's, that's their goal every single year. Uh, I think they don't want to try to, you know, they don't want to try to... Bridge the gap with the fans, or or kind of uh, ask for help, or understanding that, it, and to work with the fans because I, I still think there's a respect for supporters in that sense. They they do genuinely think they're much smarter than anybody who supports the club, and that they know what they're doing. And it's uh, you know one giant kind of ego for them and unfortunately that's a really hard uh mindset to break you know i think you see a lot of other clubs where the ownership comes in or they're willing to work with the fans and they they want to build this idea of you know a a pride in the club and stuff and i i mean i guess it's not too shocking from two guys who made their money in the porn industry but uh they're they're not really the type of guys who are trying to kind of build that civic pride or that pride in, in the club anymore no matter how much David Gold wants to talk about being from four four two Green Street. Like that's, I think that's as much of a, a sales pitch as it is an actual truth.
2: Yeah, they would have they would have given uh, the bowling ground uh, a different treatment if that's what they really wanted to do. That that club is so entrenched in the middle of the neighborhood on Green Street that y- y- you can't even lie about being a part of the community as far as that's concerned. I just want, I completely agree. I don't think Moyes is really the man, but I, I do think he'll probably be around here. Um, I think there'll be a change either way in the summer. I At least I'm hopeful that there will be, and I'm trying to speak that into existence. Um, as far as the manager goes, Henry, you brought up and, and sort of started this dive into the examination of the board on, on uh, talking about the manager. And realistically, the manager and every player that's brought in, but specifically the manager is a risk and a, and a gamble the board is taking. That's who the board has, choose, has chosen rather to take the team and push them forward. Now to stick with David Moyes, or to go back to David Moyes, or to uh, you know to, to even go to Big Sam right now, like everyone's saying online, oh give Big Sam seven games and and you know give him money in the summer, whatever, whatever, whatever the you know your thoughts may be, those are so unimaginative, and you're basically punishing the fan base and the supporters and the players with these unexciting just lackluster managers because you don't want to take a risk. You'll take a risk on everything else. You'll sell the club's ancestral home. You'll do everything to basically rip the club apart from a supporter's perspective. But when it comes to trying to survive, all they want to do, like you said, Aaron is be like a cockroach, just survive the apocalypse, take on all this crap, finish 70, uh, sorry, finish, finish just, just above the relegation zone. Just do whatever they can do to survive with no ambition of moving forward. So we're, we're constantly getting punished. And, and I mean, that's the way it's been for for a long time here. It's just that everyone else is seeing it now uh, from talk sport to, you know, to all the, the protests that we're getting TV time uh, for West Ham prior to the, the shutdown. It's just such a shame to see it happen to our club here. And unfortunately we have run a little bit long here. So we, we only have time for one question. Uh, and it's a poll that uh, Hammer's Polls jumped in on from Henry himself here that, that put it out there. Um, the the Hammers poll's question was, would you sack Moyes tonight? And off of that, uh, Henry, you asked, would West Ham fans like to? Uh, who would West Ham fans like to replace Moyes if he was to be sacked? Uh, Henry, I'll come to you first. Who who are your top picks to take over West Ham right now?
3: Um, well, I'd, I'll answer the first poll of yes, I would have got rid of Moyes. I mean, I, I was I think I was talking to one of my friends today, and I said to him. I'm almost annoyed at myself about how I got excited after the Bournemouth game. But like, if only I had hindsight back then of like, and actually remembered what it was like under Moyes the first time round. But like, it was awful. So yeah, I think he should be gone. I mean, there's he's had three months to prepare for two, for these two games. And we've seen West Ham hit the target four times, if that, in, two, in 180 minutes against Wolves, who... I mean, yes, a brilliant side at the moment, but player for player, we have good players. There should be a competitive game for what the club are aiming for and show nothing in that game. And then Tottenham is a derby game and we show very little in that game as well. Like, it has to go. Like, it's it's boggling that he's still there. I mean, that's the thing with the board, like, that we've always had is they don't like sacking managers and they will like fight to the end to support their manager in that sort of way because they basically don't want to pay them off. Um, so there's sort of two ways around thinking of who you're going to appoint next, and it's either right, we're going to go for someone young and we're going to give them a five year contract. and whether he goes up, whether we go down with him or we stay up, we're just gonna support him and he's gonna be given all this time to build. And we're not gonna we're gonna build buy into philosophy and we're gonna start again. And if that was the case, I'd love to see us try and get someone like the Cowley brothers or Scott Parker, who I think is doing a great job at Fulham, whether or not he'd leave Fulham. That's an entirely different point. But I think that would be sort of my thinking of where I'd want to look. I mean, Joe Coles just finished his coaching badges and people. And he, whenever I hear him talk, he sounds very intelligent, but I think he's decided to go travelling for a year to broaden his mind before he actually comes into proper coaching. Whereas if you take the look at, right, we've got seven games, get someone in to pump the players up, but they're only going to be there for those seven games. And like, this will all be agreed kind of thing. Like, we know he's going, but we just want him there to do the best and put as much in and maybe, like, excite the fans again. And I think there's only one name that sort of stands out to me. And his record's not great, but he does have a record of keeping a club that looked quite doomed up in the Premier League. I think a lot of West Ham fans like him. And that's Paolo Di Canio. I mean, he did well to keep Sunderland up and he got sacked very quickly in his second season. I think he was only given like five games. Um, But I think that's someone that would sort of bring the fans back to support the club and maybe fall in love with it again. But I think the issue is like, whoever the board appoints, there'll be question marks behind. Because... You've got to have a certain mentality to work with them. And that's my worry. Because I think if Moyes went, we'd probably just be given to Mark Noble, uh, not Mark Noble, uh, Kevin Nolan to do, who I think would also be okay, but it would show a lack of trying to do something different. Because if Nolan's out, you can see him whispering into Moyes' ear during the games, but obviously he's ignored, or he's not making his point strong enough. And he's not, if he's not able to do that to David Moyes... How's he going to do that to a squad of 25 players? Yeah. He, he did well at County, but then sort of like Cano dropped off. Um, so, yeah, so my choice would be if you're going just for the seven game contract, DiCagno, because I think also we'd all like to enjoy DiCagno managing the club. And I think we could only probably manage it for seven games because it would be emotionally um, exhausting. But if you were wanting to build something different and try bring the club back to life with a s- philosophy, I'd love to see like someone like Scott Parker come to the club. So that'll be sort of my picks. I know it's not specific, but those are the picks.
2: <laughs> no I, I think you're you make some good choices there for me if it's if it's long term, like you said investment based and, and you can if you if you bring in a director of football as well. Uh, my picks are the Cowley brothers, Lee Bowyer, and uh, Scott Parker. So two out of the three we overlap on there. I think if Fulham stays down and West Ham stays up, you could probably get Parker to come across town there. Um, Lee Bowyer will, will probably stay up with uh, with Charlton this season, but I think he's someone who's young and exciting, uh, and someone you could take a risk on. If it's just seven games, I would I would do the interim uh, Duncan Ferguson sort of deal that he, he ran Everton until Ancelotti came in, uh, with Kevin Nolan. But if not him, I would even bring, uh, Dimitri Heljiko Heljico up, uh, simply because he, half of these players are Academy players. And I think he's probably got a better eye for talent than Moyes does. And also that team was winning a lot of games and easily, they actually went undefeated in the season in the Premier league too. So, uh, why not give him a look you know you don't want you don't want to be the team that's sitting on a a hidden gem and and never look at it and not look at it because you have David Moyes that's not a good enough reason in my mind so give him a a short-term contract or at least if you're going to appoint uh someone like Kevin Nolan as interim manager then bring up Dimitri as his assistant because they've been working together since the the restart's been on uh in West Ham's abbreviated training camp what do you think Aaron who do you have as as West Ham's incumbent manager here
4: I mean, I, I don't think the owners would ever fire Moyes at this point. You know, there's only only seven games left to play over pretty much a month. They would never, you know, waste their money in that regard. And it might even be difficult to say whether somebody could could come in to to really make that much of a change. But I think if you're if you were gonna get rid of Moyes and kind of wanted to create a bit of a you know a, an optimistic field, and there's nobody you could better call than you know. Big Sam to come in with a relegation battle. The guy basically, you know, has the reputation of never going down. I know he would probably never return to the club because I know he's not a fan of the two Davids. But if you if you imagine him walking through the door with that reputation of just keeping teams up and the the kind of arrogance that he has, I think it could be actually what the team needs at this point in time. Um, If you're going to go someone a little long term, more so like at the end of the season, I you know we. I didn't get much chance to think about this, but I kind of like the idea of, uh, of Sean Dyche. I know he's done a, a really good job with Burnley and yeah. everyone always, you know, ask that question of what he is. Is Burnley kind of the right fit for him? I was uh, was listening to a podcast with uh, Paul Pescolito, who's uh, Karen Brady's husband, a former Canadian uh, international uh, soccer great, I guess you could say, but he, uh, he manages managers now like an agent for managers. And he was talking a lot about Sean Dyche and, how thorough he is and how he plans and how, you know, he has to build a specific squad right now that he has at Burnley because of their budget and for a lot of, you know, other reasons. And it'd be interesting to see someone like him get an opportunity with a bit more money, a bit or higher, a more high-profile club. It'd be kind of interesting to see if he could turn West Ham into that incredibly hard-working team that plays with a little bit of uh, excitement as well. But, you now those would be my choices.
2: All right, well, uh, this has been a long podcast, but we had a, a lot to talk about. Two matches and an entire tornado of crap to deal with, basically. Um, but we thank you guys for listening uh, if you stuck around this long. And, and let us know on Twitter if you like the podcast, if you, if you agree with our thoughts, who your ideas are for manager. Uh, and until next week, when we talk about that Chelsea match, we're actually going to preview it on uh, likely Sunday or Monday next week. Uh, the game is on Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. But until next week, come on, you irons.